Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Boom Biology Podcast. I'm your host, Benin Talpur, and on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the scientific method. Now, the scientific method is basically about how do scientists actually do science. Everything from things like doing experiments to the principles of experiments, coming up with experiment ideas, and how do laws and principles and theories work, and what actually controls the scientific world how do scientists actually do science that's basically the question that we're going to be answering today and we're going to start off as we always do with the definitions and we're going to work from there with the definitions i guess you just have to learn them off and they will be explained in more detail as i go along the chapter and use them in their context but for now i'll just be defining them so for people taking their notes biology First of all, is the study of living things. The scientific method is the process of investigation in which problems are defined and their suggested explanations are tested by carrying out experiments. An observation is when something is noticed. Hypothesis is an educated guess based on observations. An experiment is designed to test a hypothesis. Data consists of the measurements, observations, or information gathered from experiments. A conclusion is a summary of the experiments. A theory is a hypothesis that has been supported by many different experiments. A principle or law arises from a theory that has been shown to be valid when fully tested over a long period of time. An experiment is a test for a hypothesis a variable is a factor that may change in an experiment a control is used to provide a comparison or a standard against which the actual experiment can be judged a replicate is a repeat of an experiment double blind testing means that both the investigator and the participant are unaware of the nature of the treatment the participant is receiving Ethics relates to whether conduct is right or wrong. You can use these to make your flashcards. You can use them to define, uh, to learn the definitions on their own. Just listen again and again to the section. If you're trying to learn them off, but you don't want to be looking at them all the time, you know, re-listening to this multiple times may help you to learn it off. So with the scientific method, our learning outcomes slash goals for this chapter would be first of all to know what biology is i mean we're studying the subject we might as well know what it is at the start and plus what fields are there in biology so biology is the subject but since it's so vast and covers every living thing on the planet what you there are different fields of study within it and our goal is to try to know at least a few of them. Our second goal is to understand how the scientific method works. A lot of the time, this chapter is really overlooked, but this is something that is useful for all scientists in the future. It's basically the base on which every experiment is designed. So if you're thinking of going into science in the future, it's really important that you do understand Things like, what is the field that you're studying? How do experiments work? How do I design an experiment? So that would be our goal, to understand the basics. All science is based on the scientific method. There's a bunch of TED Talks on this stuff, on how important is the scientific method? Should it be scrapped altogether? How people do experiments? I know each 
experiment is different, but there's a certain way of doing it. There's certain things you have to do. There's certain checks that need to get done after you publish something. You can't just spit out information in science. In science, it's very important that other people can look at what you're doing and you are able to give people ideas. If you're sharing an idea, you want to be able to explain it and you want to be able to carry it out. So this understanding how the scientific method works is key for both this chapter and throughout any scientific career. Our third goal would be understanding how do people think of an experiment, plan an experiment, and then publish the results of their experiment. And then our last kind of goal with this chapter is basically, you know, there are limits to everything. We don't know everything. So how, like, what are the limitations that we have when it comes to things like planning experiments, making experiments? Like the scientific method is really valuable, but obviously you know, it does limit ourselves, it does limit people because we don't know everything. So we have to understand the various limitations that are present within the scientific method. A theory then is a hypothesis that has been supported by many different experiments. So people have tried it, people have tested it, they've tested it in multiple different ways for this statement to be true and for it to be counted as a theory. So an example of a theory that exists is the cell theory. All all living things are made up of units known as cells. All cells come from pre-existing cells. Other cells have to exist for, for new cells to be formed. And that all cells, regardless of where they come from, have certain parts that are the same. So they would have things like there's an outer covering that separates the inside from the outside of the cell. All cells have a cytoplasm. All cells would have DNA or some kind of genetic material in there. Even if it's not a nucleus, they will definitely have something that will guide the cell to make another cell and all the information the cell needs to stay alive. And then all cells would have ribosomes, which would make protein. So no matter what kind of cell you look at, the theory stands that all the living things are made up of cells. So a theory has basically has to work for many different experiments. A principle then, or a law, because they're both the same thing, arises from a theory that has been shown to be valid and fully tested over a long period of time. So principle is when you see the theory in many different forms. Again, it's even like it's a theory, but more powerful, basically. That's what your principle would be. And an experiment then is a test for hypothesis. You see something, you observe something, you've noticed something, and I'm gonna test it out. I'm gonna come up with a solution to this problem. That solution being tested is what is known as your experiment. And then a variable is what you may change in the experiment. What is causing the problem in your experiment? And how do I change that? Those potential solutions that you have, those potential solutions are what your variables are. And in most experiments, you only test one variable. You So basically, for example, there's an experiment in which you check whether a plant will grow or not, like whether it will germinate. And one of them is given all the conditions it needs to grow. In one of them, you you don't give it heat. In one of it, you don't give it oxygen. And in one of it, you don't give it water. The water, the oxygen, and the heat are... You only change one thing each time. Everything else is kept the same. So that one thing that you change 
is the variable in the experiment and there should only be one of them because then you know you get confused if there's more than one so most scientists will keep it simple and only change one thing at a time to see in the end how would the plant grow or how would the experiment work and what the actual solution is so basically the scientific method is basically how do people actually do science so Science is the organized and objective study of the physical, material, and living world. So it basically means what are the physical things that we see around us? How do they look like? How do they work? That's what science does. It puts the things that we have in our world that are there and it makes us try to understand those things. And we use the scientific method to try to make sense out of this crazy planet that we're on we are studying biology this is our field so biology is basically the study of all living things so if there are certain characteristics to what defines life but biology is basically anything that's living it would go under the biology field anything that's physical forces all of that that goes under physics but then what are things made up of that's chemistry so within biology since there's so many various types of living things there's things like birds there's people mammals marine life plants there it has to be divided into certain ways you can't study it all under biology it's too vast there's too many things that exist out there so biology is divided into various fields botany in botany you study plants in biotechnology you basically how do we make living things work for us because since we're humans and we're selfish we think that we want everything to work in a way that would suit us so biotechnology basically manipulates other living things to make it work for us in some way it's the use of living things to make a product biochemistry then is biochemistry is the study of that it's the study of the chemical reactions that help a living thing basically to survive and whatever physiology then is the overall function how do living things work how do their organs work that's physiology anatomy then is the structure so as humans we've got hands we've got feet we got our eyes nose ears anatomy would be the study of what do all of these things look like And people go into a lot of detail studying literally every nerve and stuff to make sure anatomy, sorry, it's a whole field of study in itself. Microbiology then is all the small living things. And by small, we mean like bacterial size. Like these things are tiny. So we can't see them, but that doesn't mean they're not there. So, but microbiology then is the study of living things, of small living things. And even within microbiology, there's three separate smaller fields because, again, what we don't see but exists is crazy out there. So we've bacteriology, which studies bacteria. And bacteria, there's so many different types. It's a field in itself. Mycology, then, you'd be studying various different types of fungi because fungi also, it's way beyond mushrooms, you know? There's things like athlete's foot. There's the rhizopus on your food that creates the mold there's a bunch of different types of fungi we limit ourselves to mushrooms but again there's so much out there and then there's virology which is the study of viruses and there are many different types of viruses coronavirus right now be affecting all of us under lockdown but virology would be the study of all different kinds of viruses how do they make people sick how can you know how you do how do you get past that ecology then is living things the study of living things and how do they interact with their environment ecology is basically 
it's so cool because you just see your world but then once you study ecology you just see how all of it interacts with each other and just how vast everything is and how everything connects so ecology we tend to like separate ourselves from ecology because we're like oh we're people and we have our own lives and you know we we're so focused on material things but nature is beautiful and there's so much out there and ecology is basically the study of all of that taxonomy then is classification since there are so many things out there what taxonomy does is classifies them into different groups so what are would fungi be where would bacteria go where would viruses go all of that go under taxonomy then you have cytology with the study of cells now all living things are made up of cells so cytology must be a crazy field of study because if everything is made up of cells cytology would be the study of all of those cells genetics then is inheritance so we inherit genes from both of our parents and we will give those genes down to our kids they code everything in your life how you will look your various features all that stuff goes into genetics and then you have the study of animals which is zoology and under zoology you'd basically learn anything about most animals so the scientific method basically shows how science is put together and how people design experiments how do they come up with experiment ideas and then how do they publish their results as we said in the definition the scientific method is a process of investigation in which problems are identified their suggested explanations are tested by carrying out experiments so you know you have to think so first what you do it's it's basically the scientific method has seven main steps and the first one of these steps is noticing something seeing something around you you could see it you could hear it you could feel it use your senses to basically observe something that is around you and you look at that and it hits you come up with an idea and you want to test it out so based on what you saw in your observation you come up with what's called a hypothesis and a hypothesis is basically an educated guess so if you're seeing a problem a hypothesis would basically be eh, i could solve it maybe this way let me try it that trying is what experimentation is so you're trying you have your guess and then you come up with an experiment with the potential solution that you have so if you I don't know, your bike's not working. You've identified the problem. What you noticed is your bike's not working. Number two, you would observe your bike, check your bike, and maybe it's the chain that... No, your bike won't break. So you're going to guess, your hypothesis would be that you got to fix the chain. Your experiment would be the various ways in which you would try to fix that chain. And maybe you try three different ways in fixing that chain, and then you come up with the conclusion there was a problem in the chain or there could be a problem somewhere else in the bike for it to not work. And then in the end, once you fix the problem, your bike is working again. So basically, that is how science works. You observe something, you notice something, you come up with a guess, you make an experiment based off that guess, see if it works, you collect your data. So when you try to come up with the solution, well, this is what happened when I did this. This is what happened when I did that. That is known as the collection and interpretation of data. And then afterwards, you make a conclusion. Did it work? Did it not? 
do you know what did you get out of it is basically the conclusion and after that you relate that conclusion to the knowledge that already exists out there so basically in your conclusion you would see well did my solution did what i guess work did it not work and if it didn't work how do i change it again so that is basically how you would connect your information what you got out of your experiment to the existing knowledge that already exists out there then you would report and publish your results so if you are a scientist you would say that this is what i was trying this is the problem that i saw this was the guess i made this is how i tried to show this was the pretend this is what i tried to show the potential solutions that i came up with in your experiment i collected the data based off of that did it work then i figured out nah, did it work did it not this is how it does work and then you would base it off of it worked because of this that would be relating the conclusion to existing knowledge and then you would publish your results saying everything that you did and how did you come up with your solution to the problem now basically what most scientists do is right now they would either publish their work in scientific journals or on the internet there's scientific journals are huge if you're a research student you know there's pages upon pages upon pages because everybody checks you constantly there's things like you do your experiment but you have to be accountable for everything that you do there's people that will contradict you there's people that will try to replicate it there's people who will ask you questions about it the beauty of science is that it's never just the one thing there's many things that exist and there's many solutions to them but all people you have to try to make that information available to as many people as you can and make it more accessible so that people understand science better in my previous example about the bike most of the time like my hypothesis was that the chain wasn't working but the reality is that a lot of the time the chain isn't what stops the bike from working the brake could not be working because there was a screw that was untight do you know and that was the conclusion i rejected that hypothesis that i made and found the actual solution then finally our last goal was what limitations do we have what is the limitations that exist in the scientific method number one is the extent of our knowledge we can only make experiments we can only observe we can only come up with solutions to problems that we know exist something has to be observed in order for you to think it's a problem and for you to come up with the potential solution for it and we don't know everything so therefore how can we make experiments on stuff that we don't know it doesn't exist right so that limits us how much do we know limits us and we always have to try to come up with new information the basis then of the investigation what are you actually testing how will it actually work and the result that you may think is accurate may not actually be accurate like what you're trying to investigate might be completely diff the solution to that might be completely different to what you thought it would be and that may limit you because you thought it was one thing but it turned out to be something else number three is actually interpreting your result how it actually showed up because you could be like well i did it this way it turned out this way it turned out this way because of this and that this may be completely wrong again you are limited by what you know and there's a lot of things that we don't know so the result may have been the way it turned out because of a completely different thing a result of that there's an example in the textbooks anyways about 
thalidomide and people tested thalidomide in order to come up with a solution for morning sickness when people are pregnant. So they thought they used this test on mice, they used this test on other animals and they believed that it would work. If it works on these, it'll work on people because again, our genes are quite similar. So they test a lot of things on animals first. So they tested it. They thought it would work because they interpreted the results from the animals that it would work on humans. And then they actually tried it on people and it didn't work because the kids that were born were born without limbs or born with a bunch of like problems with them. So that then the results were interpreted incorrectly. Animal testing means it'll work on people. But the reality was that it didn't. And number four then would be accidental discoveries. Again, you're limited by what you know. So if you're doing one thing and something completely different happens, that's discovering something by accident. Like that's how penicillin was discovered. Like your man, Alexander Fleming, was thinking of one thing. He just left his petri dish. And then there was colonies forming on the bacteria that he was trying to test. And those colonies then, he, you know, saw it, figured something out. There's this going on here. And then came up with penicillin. So, and that was an accidental discovery. He didn't know it would work out that way. That was a completely thing that was caused by fate. And he interpreted it correctly. And he came up with one of the most powerful antibiotics that basically everyone uses at some stage. And then there's changes in the natural world. Your results, obviously, your experiments will change. Basically, everything changes based on the environment that you live in. And you are limited by your environment sometimes. So if in Ireland, there's a lot of rain. So you can't really be testing a lot of sunlight effects on plants in Ireland because there's no sun. We're limited by our environment here. Whereas if you did that experiment in Spain on the plant and the sun, well, it would be more likely to work there because the environment is different. There is a change in the natural world, in the Irish natural world and the Spanish natural world. And then there's ethics. Am I doing something that is morally right or morally wrong? You know, it's the philosophy stuff. So earlier we were talking about animal testing. So if it if the thalidomide affected people so bad, who said that it was okay to test on the animals in the first place? That's what the questions that ethics tries to answer. And there was this experiment that Edward Jenner did to see he tried to come up with a vaccine for smallpox and smallpox was really big so what he did was he observed that people who got cowpox generally didn't get smallpox so he hypothesized that people who would get cowpox weren't getting smallpox so what if I tried to give people a small bit of cowpox in the vaccine that he created and see then I will collect data on whether the vaccine would work or not work based if I give people cowpox will they get smallpox or not and I will record my results so what this guy did was he got some nine-year-old kid and he injected the kid with the cowpox using the vaccine that he came up with so that's I mean you could argue that they uh, that person turned out fine and the vaccine was there. There's no more smallpox anymore. But people could have argued, why are we... That was one human life. 
Why should we test that? That's those are the kind of questions that ethics tries to answer. And it's really important that we, you know, at least have some morals in science and we don't like use anyone or take advantage of anything or any information or things like that. It basically it refers to issues that what is right. Now, how do we actually do an experiment and how do we actually plan one? So that is the section that goes under principles of experimentation. So first, what you got to do is you've noticed your thing. You've guessed what could possibly work to make this thing end. So if you're coming up with the problem, you have your potential solution, which is your hypothesis. And now you want to see if that hypothesis works. So now you're going to do your experiment. So you're going to see you're going to make a plan on this is what I think the solution is. And this is how I'm going to do, actually prove whether the solution will work, whether it won't work or whether it can be changed and it's something else entirely. So you carefully plan it, you think about it, and you would try to only come up with one variable each time so that the experiment is kept simple and you can see what works and what doesn't. So it's very important to design it in the correct way. Number two is making sure that the experiment that you do is safe because safety is so important. You're testing unknown waters when you do an experiment. Yeah, in school, we have our labs, but those experiments have been tried thousands and thousands of times. When you're making a new experiment, you're trying to discover something and you don't know how, whether things will work out or not. You don't know whether the chemicals that you're going to use are going to react in a specific way or whether they will work or whether they won't work. So to ensure that your experiment is safe, you have to follow your safety precautions. Basically, if you have long hair, tie it back, all the mundane stuff, wear your goggles, wear your coat so you don't get anything on you, wear gloves if you can, tell your teacher if you have a problem. Wearing goggles is so important. I remember one time in the lab, we were doing the most simple experiment ever, which was literally the microscope one. And while putting in the slide and putting on the cover slip, since that glass is so fragile, we didn't wear goggles for that one experiment. But because it was the simplest experiment, yet I still managed to mess it up. The I put on the glass on top, the cover slip, with too much pressure and a piece of the glass went into my eye. Now it was a very tiny piece, but for that day, there was so much irritation. I had to put eye wash in again and again. So for every experiment, just make sure you do it as safely as possible. I know when they're explaining all the safety precautions, no one wants to listen because you think, oh my God, this is so basic and like no one needs it. It'll be fine. That's our attitude towards everything, but it's really important to stay safe during your experiment. Next is how do you design a control? So basically a control is you noticed your problem and you're trying to come up to fix it. But what is, is there something you can compare it to? What is the normal way? So your control is basically used to provide a comparison or a standard against in which the actual experiment can be judged. So as a con if you are doing an experiment, again, the plant one is where you eliminate one factor to see whether it will germinate or not is kind of easy in which you see in one of the plants, you're not giving it water. In the other one, you're not giving it warmth. And the other one, you're not giving it oxygen. But then you compare it to the plant that you give all three factors to and hopefully that plant will grow normally. That normal growing that one, the plant has everything that it needs to thrive is the control experiment. And it's really important. Like sometimes it's really hard to design a control because again, with science, you are testing unknown waters. But if you have one, you should use it 
because it's very important to compare things, especially when people are asking you questions afterwards. And then finally is you have to ensure that your experiment is fair. You can't just be like, you know, this is my experiment. I'm going to get credit for it. I'm going to manipulate it whatever way I wanted to in order for it to work. That isn't the way that science works. Again, people question you. You are accountable for everything that you publish out there. People review your stuff. People check your stuff. You can't, it's not a creative field in which you can just say what you want and it's okay. People will ask. So it's very important that you make sure that everything is fair. Now, how do you make sure that everything is fair when you're planning or designing something? Number one, if you're doing an experiment, you have to make sure that you are testing or using an appropriate sample size. So if you have to make sure that your sample is actually big enough. So if you, for example, I did an experiment once that I did a survey in which I asked people, do stereotypes affect your career choice? So I asked people whether they believed that gender stereotypes affected their career choice. But I didn't ask one or two people. I asked an entire year group filled with students sixth-year students who would be going on to college and first of all thinking about their career number two there was a lot of them but for example I could have lacked my sample size may not have been appropriate if I had only asked girls that question and not boys because we're on about stereotypes we have to make sure that there is an accurate sample size and a big enough sample size then you've your random selection you can't just pick your friends so if you're thinking oh, do stereotypes affect career choice, for example, you can't just pick all the people that you know. You could be in second year and you could be making this experiment. At that point, you're not thinking of a career. And all these people, for example, if you're in an all-girls school, the majority of your friends would just be girls. You wouldn't... So you would have to make sure that you pick people randomly, people that you haven't told about the experiment. For example, you'd maybe want a particular reaction out of your friends because you want to, your result to be accurate, but you may want your result to turn out as a specific way. So in order to make sure that the experiment is fair, you would make sure that you ask random people about it you would make sure that both boys and girls are being asked the same questions so that the answers that you have are both accurate. They have a good sample size. People have been randomly selected, so you cannot manipulate your result in any way. Number three, you have to make sure that other people can look at your experiment and try to be able to do it themselves. This is known as replication. So the replicate of an experiment is basically the repeat of an experiment. So you can't just be like, I did it, believe me, this, it is what it is. Because that's, not, again, that's not how science works. People constantly question you, people constantly judge you. So you have to be able, you put out your experiment, I did this, but other people will ask you, but did you do it right though? Is, how do I actually believe you? I'm going to do it myself. So you have to be able to design your experiment in a way that other people can do the experiment and hopefully come up with the exact same results as you. And finally, we have what's known as double blind testing. Double blind testing means that both the investigator and the participant are unaware of the nature of the treatment that the participant is receiving. So basically double blind testing is mostly used on when they test out new medicines, right? And then they try to figure out, does the medicine actually work? Is it effective or not? That's what double blind testing is mainly used for. So what they do is you get two groups of people who all are sick with the same problem. You give them, you give one group 
the actual drug that you're testing and you give other people what is known as a placebo which is the it's basically a not effective like a medicine that looks like the medicine but isn't actually the medicine so it will look the same but it's not it doesn't have the chemicals in there for the medicine to actually work because it's not the medicine it just looks like it and you're basically given the effect that you are taking the medicine when you're actually not you believe the people around you that tell you you're taking the medicine but you do, but you're actually not now in double blind testing both the tester so the doctor doesn't know and you don't know whether you've taken the actual medicine or you're just taking the placebo the fake medicine and they compared these two groups of people based off of what's known as the placebo effect so you when you take a medicine you obviously believe the doctor and you're like this is going to make me better so your body makes stuff in order for you to try to feel better that's what's known as the placebo effect so even if you're not being actually being given the medicine you believe them so your body tries to work around it and be like i'm getting medicine i want to feel better but it's all fake it's all perception it's not real you're not actually being given the medicine but you think you are and basically you compare those people to the people who actually did get the medicine both people the medicine and you and the other group don't know who got what but you would then check who got better and who didn't or who got better but to a less extent if there is a really big difference on people who got better versus who didn't that means that the medicine worked if there isn't a difference that means that the medicine didn't work and that's how they figure out double blind testing I know it's kind of a weird one, but that is how it works. You believe the lies that they tell you and you you compare it to what actually happened and did it work, did it not? That's basically what double blind testing is. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope that this episode helped you out in some way that you learned something. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Boom Biology Podcast or to email me if you have any questions, boombiologypodcast at gmail.com. Bye.